Hey, what's up, everybody? It's DG. On this episode of Seeking Wisdom slash Coffee with a CMO, we're back with another episode of it. Uh, I'm really loving this series. I've learned so much from doing it. I can't wait to do more. Uh, on this episode, I sat down with Brian Carden. He's the CMO at Fuse. He was also the CMO at Eloqua uh, Forrester back in the day. Super interesting guy. I really hit it off with Brian. I actually hadn't spent a ton of time with him before, and so it was really cool to just be able to you know, pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and, and talk. It was a million degrees out when we filmed this one, so we just did it in our office at Drift. Uh, but I learned a ton from Brian, and I know you will too during this episode. Fun fact, my favorite thing about Brian is so I'm, this, I'm a crazy guy that has this notebook and I'm just always writing down ideas and stuff in it. Brian has a uh, index card. He literally keeps an in- index card in his like jacket or whatever, shirt pocket where he scribbles stuff down on. So we nerded out on that and a bunch of other stuff. Here's another episode of Coffee with the CMO with Brian Carden. I'm wired up too? You wired up? You wired up? Yeah, I'm wired up. Okay, cool. I'm wired up. It's just sneaky. Um, okay, so this is uh, Coffee with the CMO with Brian Carden. Hey. Uh, we were gonna go outside, but it is uh, about 200 degrees in Boston today. So I emailed you about 20 minutes ago and said, why don't we just do it here? I think everybody was, re- we, we saved Gonzalo, we saved me, we saved you. I'm very grateful. It is, yeah. just walking over here was just a Schwitz show. Brutal. It was just terrible. It was brutal. Everybody is, was moist. Uh, so you actually told me, interesting story. So we, we have, uh, Joe was one of the first episodes that we've done. You you have some like you have some early Joe Chernoff story, uh, story. So I want to I want to break into that because you were the CMO at Eloqua, 2008. You hired Joe to do PR, and this is kind of when you discovered like. Content. Well, it's so funny. I interviewed Joe very early on. He was a traditional PR guy, yeah. and I passed on him. I didn't think he was right. Yeah. Um, Did he have a beard then? It's a cleaner cut. Uh, yeah, cl- yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if he had a beard or not. He went through yeah. sort of different phases yeah. as he continues to. Uh, so I passed on him the first time. Didn't seem like a good fit. And the second time, I thought it was right. I, I love his assertiveness and his uh, strong point of view and everything. He's not like a nod your head yeah. kind of guy, yeah. which I loved. And as I was telling you earlier, um, you know, he joined in a more traditional communications, PR, AR role. And then uh, we both read Inbound mm-hmm. uh, uh, by Darmesh and Brian. Mm-hmm. And this is around 2008, 2009. And we just devoured it. And it totally changed how we thought about things. We were much more traditionalists, yeah. much more outbound, yeah. cold calling, all the things that the book says is just old school. Do you, how do you do, like, it seems like a big shift. Like, do you take that, because there's a lesson in there, which I think is like, you're looking for a new channel. And you told me earlier, you have, you kind of have your, your group, right? Megan from MongoDB and, yeah. and Volpe and some others. Like, is that how you get to that point where you realize you have to make a, a fundamental change? Because it, it's hard, right? Things are going well, things are working. Like, how do you, you know, it takes, it takes guts to say, like, all right, we're going to try something completely new. How do you stay on top of that? Well, that was a huge shift for us. Yeah. So we totally reinvented everything. And yeah. we had uh, literally a change management exercise. So everyone on the team would discuss the book. we talk about how it would affect our role. So how would it affect the demand gen team? Mm-hmm. How does it affect content marketing? Mm-hmm. How does it affect uh, PR and AR? Mm-hmm. Um, how does it affect uh, product marketing? Mm-hmm. So we all talked about the ramifications of the book. And we sort of changed. We realized we had to do something different. And also because it was marketing automation, we're sort of in the spotlight marketing. So it's uh, if you're running marketing at HubSpot or you're running marketing at Marketo or Eloqua, there's no room for forgiveness. Like you are the role model and you're up there and the lights are on and you've got to be a role model for lots of marketers out there. The thing I, I, I loved about the, uh, the HubSpot IPO though, it wasn't just about you guys went public and it was great success. Then you really change an entire generation of marketers about how they thought about marketing and the role that marketing could have. And that I think is going to be the lasting impact. That's a great company and it'll last a long time. I think the real impact is 
is how has it affected an entire generation of marketers and new ways of thinking. What do you what is do you think there's a next wave? Like, are we past that wave now? Like, because I think we're past the yeah. like marketing automation. Like, totally. Uh, that's table stakes now, right? You have it's to commodity. Be good at all that it's stuff. like electricity running on the walls. Every building's got it. Everybody's got Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's the next you know level? Um, so, what's interesting is that um, this is right around the time the whole Martech stack was emerging and the thousands of Martechs that are out there right now. I don't think it's about the technology at all anymore. I think everything sort of plugs and works really well. It configures really well. Um, I think it's going to be much more about automation with artificial intelligence, machine learning, how do you do things smarter, faster. I remember when I started my marketing career, we would review all the campaigns quarterly. And then at Eloqua, we do it monthly. And now, of course, we do it continuously. Yeah. And it's we, like we have a we have a whiteboard back there and like so right now, you know, it's the third day of July, right? Yeah. We've planned July, but we have a team and we built a team in a way where like if if we walk out if I walk out of this video with you with a good idea, yeah. We could go rip up that calendar and say, hey, you know we're gonna do Tuesday. Yeah. Like that that to me is like what is so fun. Right. It can be hard though because you always feel like you're on the you're on the wheel a little bit. But we have a pretty high bar when we change something. So we like to sort of run things for a while and because we don't have as high a velocity sale as you do, mm. so we have fewer inbounds, we have fewer, it's definitely a high touch, our model at Fuse, and uh, we're interested in, uh, you know, we have like a nine month cycle from opportunity to close, so it goes quite a while. So we don't, so it takes us a while to run a test to have enough uh, conversions to see how well the A-B tests work and how well a campaign does. You're, you've kind of always been, I guess with the exception of Fuse, you've kind of always been in marketing. Like, obviously you've been a CMO, but like, Forrester. So it's interesting. Um, I was a, a career consultant. I worked for this consulting firm for years, and I was a partner there. And then we had uh, twin boys, and I realized the life of a consultant is you never see your kids. You mm -hmm. leave Monday morning and you come back, you know, on Friday. And um, I got a call from Spencer Stewart one day to be CMO of this big company, and um, and I got the job. And so, unlike most marketers, I never grew up in a marketing organization. I was never like a marketing manager or a director. I went from consultant with a bunch of slides and analysis uh, to being CMO of a multi-billion dollar company. So it was crazy. Uh, so, and so I, it is great because I really felt like a fraud. Did you have like, a moment like, what am I like? What am I doing yeah. here? And then I realized the guy who hired me, he wanted more leadership, much more consulting and persuasion and that sort of stuff. And so uh, it worked out great for me. What, what did you do at Forrester? I'm interested in... So I was head of marketing and strategy, and uh, interesting, I was one of the first customers of, of Eloqua. So I joined Forrester in 2008. This is after the, the bubble had burst, and uh, a lot of the Forrester money had come from uh, venture capital funding companies that bought Forrester contracts. And uh, I had a great guy running U.S. marketing, a guy named Dennis Van Lingen. And Dennis was always talking to our analysts, and the analysts were covering new marketing technologies. And one of the analysts, Alana, who actually ended up being CMO of Demandware, um, and she's terrific, uh, she had heard about this new technology out of Canada called Eloqua, you know, or Eloqua. Mm -hmm. And so we started looking at that, and so I was one of the first customers of Eloqua. And we were using it, and we gave them a lot of feedback on the product. And then four years later, they were looking for a CMO, and they called me. We love you, Brian, because you were one of the first adapters. And they needed a CMO who didn't just run marketing, but would evangelize the category. And that became a new role for me. Uh, so I was able to speak a lot to marketers and talk about the future of marketing. What is uh, what do you see still like? So you kind of you kind of came came up as a CMO in that era of marketing automation, right? Yeah. What do you what do you what do you still see out there today that is like? Because I feel like there's a bunch of as technology keeps changing, there's like this core of skills that I think people 
people are missing now. Like as I'm interviewing more people and growing our team and talking to more people, like I feel like everybody just wants to focus on the technology, the tools yeah. and the technology, and it feels like we're missing something else. Here's the thing: is missing. Most of my time is now spent dealing with sales issues. So marketing doesn't really exist unless the salesperson picks it up and you have the right process and the right SLAs. So we did something wrong in the beginning of Fuse. I over-instrumented uh, the dashboards for the sales team. It's very complicated. You get some kid out of school and they're a BDR, and it's like, my God, you give them like, like a cockpit of some, right. some unbelievable jet fighter plane. Right. All they want is a clock and like a radio. Yeah. It's like unbelievable. Or you t say like, hey, here, your job is to do a hundred of these things, and that's it. Right, that's it. Yeah. And so we have to simplify it. So I assume they're in love with all the technologies I am. So we got, you could go here for searches, you go here for who came to the website, and go here who who's engaged here, yeah. and go here for this, and we got this over there. It's like unbelievable. And at the end of the day, they weren't looking at anything. They were too confused. It's back to your point. Just do this every day. That's a great, that's a great lesson. I never like think of that, right? You, which is, which is kind of why like, I mean, to come in, to come right into a new job, right? You're 22, 23, and you got to figure, you got to look at all these things. What do you mean searches, dashboards? I've never looked at any of this stuff yeah. in my life. So what? How did you? How quickly did you realize that that was not the right? Pretty fast. Yeah. Pretty fast. So it happens that our BDR sit right, very close to Wait, me. You own the da you own those dashboards. Like it wasn't sales and then sales ops. No, we own them. So the BDRs report into sales, but we own you know things that they look at, all the plugins that go into the CRM, and so we own all those things. Um, so all the tools that they have. What happened was I would uh, sit next to a BDR and just say, I just want to see what you do. And they got very nervous because the CMO, that. you know, like, what do you do? Yeah. And so I didn't tell them what to do. I just observed right. what they did. And you're like, I'm not judging you. I just literally, this is what I want. I want to watch. I just want to like watch and see how you say it. Yeah. And I realized that they're not prioritizing things properly. They've been pulled in a billion directions. So the salespeople that they report to, we have about a three to one ratio, one BDR for three sales reps, that the sales rep says to focus on these accounts. And they're being distracted all the time. So they get doing something and then they get pushed over here. Then they get pushed over here. The priorities are always changing. So they need to get a true north. Like, here's what you do every day and it's super simple. So most of my time now was spent on the integration between sales and marketing and not on the technology at all. In fact, I find most CMOs have put in too much marketing technology that they're not using. And so we're a good example of that. Uh, the few technologies that we put in that um, we can afford but that's not the, 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 the scarce resource. The scarce resource is not the dollars. It's time. Mm. So we always Because you can always make a case for to to you know the CFO, to the board, whoever. If we're growing, if I can show you we're gonna keep growing, why would you not keep giving me more budget? Right. Yeah. I can always get more budget, but we can only onboard so many technologies a quarter or a year. Yeah. And then uh, about a year ago I was going through the audit of all of our technologies and they said, How are we doing with this one? Nobody was using it. And then I log on. I say no one's logged on in six months. Well, I like, want to go. I want to go into that. So, so you did an audit. Who owns that? Do you have an ops person? Yeah, that? we have marketing ops person. Okay, so who you are awesome. Do you say, hey, marketing ops team, I want to, I want to see, I want to know, I want to know our entire tech stack, top to bottom, what we're paying for. Yeah. So I have that in a, in a system. So I know exactly what we're paying for everything. Okay. We have about twenty eight technologies right now, and so we're pretty candid. So. Uh, at my company, they gave me a private office, but I'm never in there. I sit with my team. And you, sit, you still sit with the BDRs. <laughs> I sit. With, I love sitting with the BDRs. You learn so much. I know. No, that is important. I didn't want to skip one. That is a really important lesson, which is like in in this world of, you know, hacks and tips and tricks and spreadsheets and numbers and hey, let the numbers tell a story. Like, to actually go and sit there. Yeah. Like I, I still find the best, the most underrated thing for me learning here has been sales team sits down there just going through a couple times a day and walking through and 
you know, the only bummer about moving into this office is we don't sit next to them anymore. Mm. That used to be the realest form of feedback because I'm sitting yes. next to a sales rep on a call and I'm listening, this is bobsmith at gmail.com, booked a meeting, I'm like, I'm gonna hear it for this one. Or right. you can hear, you can learn. So I love that as a piece of advice, which Absolutely. is like so often overlooked. So anyway, you, you get this audit. Yeah, so I see uh, you know, what we're spending and what we're doing. But I, I ask Emily, and I say, Emily, you know, what are the technologies? I, Joe Chernoff calls it my shit sandwich. So I always start with something nice, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then there's something horrible in the middle, yeah. and then it ends sort of nice. Yeah. And I do this with performance yeah. reviews. People always know it's coming. Joe is a master of the shit sandwich, <laughs> even though I know it's He coming. learned it from yeah, the, yeah, the sandwich it's, maker it's himself. Good. Okay, good. All right, I'll get, the sa I'll get the shit sandwich after this. So I say, Emily, what's really killing it? What's really, oh, everybody's using this, everybody's using this, great. Says, what is being underutilized a little bit? And so she'll open up a little bit. She's a very candid person anyway. And she say, well, we deployed this a little bit early. We have been able to do this, we haven't been able to do this. And so um, we have to really be able to deploy things and get them going. But we find that the choke point is the sales team. They mm. can only handle so many new things. Marketing can handle a lot more because it's automated and we're used to it, but a salesperson's day can only handle so many new things. The other thing is it's not, I think the p thing that people don't understand, and I, I like, we talk to a lot, the, the cool thing about like doing marketing here and we sell marketing software, is for our sales team, we in the marketing team can be the number one buyer, right? And so we can give them real feedback. And I think the thing that doesn't get understood a lot is it's not about the money. It's about literally look at the 100 other priorities, right? That's what it is. And you can have a nice to have, maybe this is not a real pain, like unless it's a burning, burning pain, like I am behind on leads this month and I want to do X to get there, right? It's really hard to jump to the top of the list. And so it's not that those technologies aren't any good, it's just, in the land of 15, 20, 30 other things, how are you going to focus on this one? Exactly right. You know, there's a real danger. Uh, when I was at Eloqua, I always assumed that I knew how marketers bought because my whole team were marketers. They would bring us on sales calls and everything. And now I'm selling to IT. Um, I can't be lazy because I don't have a clue how IT buys. So I had to do the research and talk to IT people and do the personas and do all this stuff. So I think a lot of uh, marketers at MarTech companies, I know you're not one of them, just sort of uh, revert back to their own behavior and they think they know, but things change and every buyer is not the same. And so I like the discipline of not being in MarTech anymore. Uh, it's just very cluttered right now. It's, it's a hard market, as you know. I love the, like, the thing I do a lot is I just forward, when I get a good email from a sales rep, even if I don't take the call, I send it to our team. Because uh, I'm like, this is a great email, here's Do you why. ever take any inbound calls from sales reps? Like on a phone? Yeah, like your phone rings. Never. Okay, I, I will you pick do? it up. Because start prank calling you, you and I are both, you and I are both anthropologists. Okay. So when you get an email okay. that's either really good or really bad, yeah. we call it the hall of shame yeah. or the hall of glory. Yeah. And I love good ones. I love phone calls too. So I'll get some. BDR. Ooh, I never thought of that. Like I never thought of putting a phone call in the swipe file too. Right. Oh, it's, it's always an email. I yeah. love that. So uh, so some kid calls me. Some sweaty kid, yeah. twenty. Oh, they reach the CMO. He's like going. He's like, oh my god. And he always want to set up a meeting. And it's I say, you don't have to set up a meeting. This is the meeting. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, and so you just see what they can do, and I usually say you got so 30 listen, seconds. So listen, Ryan Carden answers his phone. If you're watching at home, I occasionally do. Phone. It all we'll depends. Have his number, we'll have his number <laughs> pop up right here in this video. I love that. Yeah, actually, I have picked up the phone a couple times, and when I do, the pitch, I actually feel like the person on the other end is hoping that I don't answer. They are. They want to leave a message because they have an SLA, so many emails, so many voicemails left. They don't want to talk to you. They're scared to death. That's a broken SLA. It's just number driven. You're going to call me. Uh, the other thing now, though, is like that the local. I've offered a job to a kid who called me once. Because it was a good pitch? So good. 
and I said, could I have your email? You know, I said, send me an email, yeah. and then I followed up. I tried to make him an offer. I couldn't bring it him It didn't over. work? Yeah, it didn't work. Because he's probably good. He's probably killing it. He's, yeah, he's, he's, killing the only it. he's making a lot of money. He might be the only <laughs> one picking up the phone and making calls. The problem is now, because of the local dial thing, right. the chance, like every, every phone call I get is 617, is 508, is 774, and so I'm like, is this tricking me into thinking it's somebody that I know, or? Anyway, but, but it's so interesting about the sales because no one responds to emails anymore. It's very unlikely. So I don't know about you, but conversion rates across the board are just down to like nothing, click-throughs mm -hmm. and opens. And then no one's picked up their phone except for obviously me and maybe you now. So how do you reach people? It's really a dilemma for salespeople. And so uh, I think it's a whole new world. And, and this could be the next big wave is how do you get through? How do you really break through the people? Have you thought about that at all? All the time. Okay. What, what, is this, what, are, you, what are you thinking about? Or what do you talk, like you told me, you talked to a couple CMOs you have in your like inner circle, you guys trade ideas. Do you talk, how do you, how do we fix, how do you fix that? So it has to be uh, a highly personal message. Yeah. It has to be related to them. And it can't be like, hey, you went to Notre Dame and so did I. Here's a hat. <laughs> it's right, like, right, like people go to LinkedIn right. and says, oh, he's got a dog. I'll yeah. send him a bag of dog yeah. food. Yeah. It's like, no. That's or, not... or somebody, I have, somebody's had that to me. And like, I have no affiliation with X. Like, I don't have no love for that. But right. okay, so you just lost points. But yeah, the hard part about that is nobody wants to believe that. Nobody wants that advice. Like, because they want it to be like, all right, well, you automate this thing, and then you do this thing, and you send this thing. But like, the best emails that I have and respond to are people who actually have taken the have, time. Hey, I watched your video with Brian, and at you know, 15 minutes in, you said this thing. What did you mean by that? I'm like, huh? Okay, this person actually did the research. That's the only trick, though, for the future is be is be real. Be real. Yeah. And you got to do the research and find out, and not just be flattering in a sycophant kind of way. So it's got to be sincere and yeah. authentic. And everything. Okay. If this is so. The reason I want to do this series is I wanted to like just hang out and have conversations with CMOS because I think that other people who want to be in this position one day will will get interested in it. What is the biggest jump from managing a team, whether you're a director, a manager, a VP, whatever, of you know, five, six, seven, twenty people to, to making the jump to, to CMO. What do you think is the biggest thing that people often don't think about, or what does the progression have to have to look like? So it's really two areas. One is, um, you know, we all grow up in a major. We had to major in demand gen or communication or something. So when you're what CMO, was, what was yours? Uh, mine was demand gen because of Eloqua. Okay. And so that's my major, and so is my comfort zone. I'm really good at conversions and nurturing and scoring, and like I can do that. So you could, we could go whiteboard like our funnel at Drift right now, and you could be like, mm, you should do Everywhere this. Everywhere I know what's going this. on. Yeah. So it's just like very easy for me. Okay. And so I had to get much better at messaging communications, much better at AR, PR, so all these other areas. So to become a CMO, you have to really be you know, multilingual. You're not just speaking one language demand gen, so you have to be able to do it all. That's the first thing. Number two is you have to be a great communicator, up, down, sideways. So there's always the pressure with sales. Uh, the CEO, CFO are always like skeptical, classically, about what marketing's doing. Uh, you have to, to communicate with your team to keep them really excited about what they're doing. And then you have to, be able to communicate with prospects and customers. So communication is really important. Frequent, transparent, compelling, leadership sort of stuff. So the first point is you have to speak all these languages of marketing and understand that. And then the second is this idea of um, of really, uh, you know, digging in and uh, being a good communicator. How do, you, how do you go out? How do you go out and do that, right? Like, let's say you are you are director of demand gen at a company, and like you got that thing nailed. 
your boss is not likely to say like, yeah, you know what, go go work on some PR stuff. Like, how do you how do you gain that? How do you get that knowledge? Like, while doing. I, I think you'll you'll hopefully be part of cross-functional teams, some special yeah. projects, or you're part of the leadership team in marketing. And so you may go to the content marketing person and say, hey, I'd like to write a blog post, or I want to work on some things, or how do you think about sharing it socially, or how do you tag a piece of content, or the website is doing this. Like, I've never built a website. Right. Could you make me part of the team Just that's being doing curious the website? about all the pieces? Curiosity yeah. is the key. 100%. You know, I always think that the the real competitive advantage is this idea of continuously changing and evolving and being curious to try new things because things aren't stagnant, yeah. particularly in marketing. Yep, yep. What um, what else? Oh, this one. This one's going to ask you. One thing I think is interesting, which is you still have this peer group, right? How do you how do you use? Tell me more about like who's in the peer group. You don't have to name their names if you don't want to, but like, and how do you how do you use them in your in your role today? So, um, and I'm asking because I think the one thing that every marketer wants to do is they want to say, hey, Brian, can I pick your brain? Can I get coffee? Can I do this thing? I think for me, the thing that I've learned is the most valuable thing is doing that with other people who are doing the same thing that I am. Right. Um, like I think the first time I met you was at a dinner in Boston with a bunch of other marketing people. And I went to that dinner and I was like, I usually think those things can be garbage. And I love that one because it felt like 10 people who were all kind of off the record, all sharing the same thing. And I walked out of that being like, that guy's dealing with the same thing. She's dealing with this problem. Like we are all going, like it's all related. It's just a different company. It's all related. There, there is a counter argument that I occasionally like, like we're in this world of B2B marketing. You're in MarTech. It's a bubble. It's like the, it's little echo chamber, all like this world. Like Phil Schiller at Apple is doing some amazing things. A hundred percent. You know, Lorraine Tuwill is doing unbelievable stuff at Google. There are people doing amazing things. B2C, I think we got to, find other examples than just the vendor echo chamber here. That should be the pull quote for this because I think that is, that's how we, to me, that's how you break through the whole thing you were saying earlier about everybody has a blog, everybody has a podcast, everybody's sending email, conversion rates are lower. If you and I right now said, hey, you know what, hey, hey, for all you watching this video, our B2B research tells us the best time to send an email is 2.08 p.m. on a Tuesday. And then that's where the opportunity is. Like, right, right. I'm sending an email at sat on Saturday night. Right. I'm going to this channel, or nobody in my industry is doing video, so right. I want to do video. You got to zig when everybody else is zagging. But yeah. if you're listening to the echo chamber, everyone's sort of pulled in the same direction. And there's a lot to be, you know, some of these B2C marketers from big companies are doing some amazing things. I love what Adobe does, you know, so uh, Ann Lunas is a great CMO. I love, uh, you know, Lorraine over at, uh, at Google, I love. Uh, there's some really amazing global marketers. Uh, there's a guy named David Edelman at Aetna. He's got an interesting background. He was at um, Digitas. He ran the Boston office of Digitas agency, and then he was at McKinsey writing about digital marketing and transformations, all this stuff. And now he's running marketing. He's CMO of Aetna, an insurance company. What a yawn that is. Like, how exciting and how boring it is. Right. The guy has made it interesting and right. fascinating. At the end of the day, he's a storyteller, like making insurance accessible to people and really tear-jerk stories. And just he's just done an amazing job there. I think the other thing is... Uh understanding people like I think especially in B2B we live in this like I'm in B2B I'm in a bubble this is what I got to do where like I can tell you I can go stand in line to get a coffee and I see not a single person looking up and everyone's like this right and I can tell you that something's got to change in marketing right like right. we don't answer our phone we don't answer our phones we don't answer emails and yet we are on our phones all day like all day. there's just places to observe like that do you ever unplug for a while do you ever have a way because uh, I don't know about you, I, I see you're married, like uh, yeah. no electronics in bed, and so, I, I mean your phone. Yes. You know, but do you have certain zones yes. or certain times I where you, you unplug completely? So the best way for me to unplug is I have a one-year-old, 
and so having a daughter, having a baby has forced me to like prioritize, right? Like I tweeted something the other day, it was like having a baby has been like, all right, I, I used to be like, I'm a super type A person. Like I would, before I go to bed, I write my list of things I want to do tomorrow and I have my to-do list and I'm going to do this and then I had a baby. And now it's like, okay, you have 20 minutes. You have one 20 minute window, go. Now do what, you do what you're going to do. So if you're with a <laughs> stroller and the baby and everything, you're not doing this? No, no, no. You're not doing this? No, sometimes I <laughs> The am. baby will never know. She'll she, never she, know. He's only one. She, I think like the Apple knows, Apple knows something. Steve Jobs knew something because my, she will see my phone and she's like, what is that? We try to give her that. So, so it's a good, good question. So I do have some habits. So number one is no phones in, in the bedroom. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I got like, I ordered like two $5 like digital clocks on right. Amazon. Right, so it's one function, just so alarm. So one function, yeah. just alarm, yeah. uh, which was like, I actually needed like 30 minutes to figure out how to make it work, you know? And I was like, I haven't used one of these since I was like 12. Um, and we leave our phones out in the kitchen. So we try to have that routine. I also try to be like, I'm trying to do better at, when, when I'm doing something, going deep and doing it. So like, yeah. I knew that today my big thing, I have two big things. I'm doing a webinar later today and I was gonna interview you. And so I just tried to like say, you know what, this that's what I'm doing today. Yeah, that's plenty for a day. Forget yeah. about everything else, go deep with Brian, like yeah. make that valuable and then do a good webinar and then I can go home tonight and, and be good with that. Um, I try to, I, I go to the gym in the morning, that's my time to like oh, yeah. be, Morning's good, be yeah. unplugged. Are you one of these like 5 a.m. Yeah. guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just because by default now, like I, I have to do that. It's, it's really, the only time you'd find it's yourself. It's the only yeah. time I find like at night, you know, my daughter goes to bed at seven, so I want to leave here and make sure I can go see her and, you know, give her a bath and go to bed. Yeah. And then like I got to go to bed early. So I have, you know, seven to nine to hang out. There's always there, there's a dinner or an event or something. That time in the morning is like is my is my time. Yeah, my time. So um, I get up very early. I just what love time that. do you get up? Uh, five o'clock. No so, matter what time you're up until tonight. Like if you had to go to an event or something, or do you do you ever give yourself? So my team will. They know that uh, Brian does the Cardin two step. What's so that? I always show up at events early and I leave really early. I love that. But I don't tell anyone. Yes. I say I'm going to the bathroom or, oh, there's my friend Dave over there. Dave's not even there. I just sort of, and then I'm asleep by 9 <laughs> o'clock. I'm in my pajamas at 9 o'clock. I'm good. asleep every night at 9.30. I love that. But I'm all in. Don't tell too many people about that. It's I out there. It's out there. It's, oh, you leave a little bit early too? All the time. So I, I never go to sleep at 11 o'clock. It just won't happen unless I go to a concert. Because you don't get the, the there's um. My favorite, do you know Jocko Willink at all? The no. Navy, he's this former Navy SEAL. And oh, not big, Extreme Ownership. Yeah, Extreme oh, Ownership. Yeah, 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 yeah. His, he gets up early, and everybody always asks him, Jocko, how do you get up early? What's your secret? And he goes, go to bed early. Exactly. <laughs> right. So what do you do between five and the time you get to work? I uh, have a cup of coffee, nice. and I read a book. Yep. Uh, don't turn on the computer for a while. I love that. Uh, I walk the dog. Uh, which is nice. I find that very therapeutic. We have the world's smallest dog. Our landscaper calls it a squirrel on a leash. It's a four-pound dog. So if you're little... if you're somewhere around Boston at 5:20 on a on a Tuesday morning, you might see you with a with a little little tiny little dog. thing. It's unbelievable. What do you what do you read? Uh, so I try to read more fiction than nonfiction, and I try to read things that are of interest to my children. As a parent, mm. I think one of the the really good things that I did was whatever my kids were reading at the time. So they could be reading. You know, uh, you know, J.D. Salinger, the Cooking of Mice and Men, whatever books they're reading you in read high school, book. I would read that book at the like same that. time, and we talk about it. So my daughter is now a sommelier. So yeah. she went to college. You've twin, you've twin boys. Yeah, identical and a twin boys and a daughter. Yeah. So she just graduated college, and she wants to be a sommelier. Yeah. So her thesis in college was wine in the divine. Yeah. So uh, wine through different religions over a thousand years, 
And so uh, she weighs all of 90 pounds. She can drink me under a table. So we'd go out to a restaurant. She never orders wine by the glass. Oh, we'll get a bottle of this to start. I'm thinking, what the hell? It's the two of us. So I'm like sipping a glass. She's just <laughs> she knows the industry. That's how she knows the she industry. The she knows her wines. And then we start a second bottle, a third bottle. And so she's uh, Amazing. unbelievable. And so there's several books about wine now she wants me to read. And also I am taking a wine class as mm. well. So Tuesday nights I go to wine class and we do tasting and everything. So I try to try to do those things. I love that. So you have that curiosity. I mean, it's just like, it's a mindset. It's always, you, you always be learning. I also think you can learn, you do learn from non, from fiction and from wine, things you can apply to, to marketing. That's what people, I think, miss a lot. Well, part of the fiction is, I'd like to get into a story, yeah. and uh, my wife runs sales for her company, and sometimes they'll have like the uh, President's Club thing, and I'll go, I'll be the spouse, and I'll go with her. And I always bring a really great fiction book, and they'll always see, uh, they'll say to my wife, Barb, What's Brian? Is Brian okay? Because I'll be in the corner, like, crying. <laughs> I'm just, my kids say, Dad, you're so emotional. But I love these stories. Yeah. And it just takes me to a completely different place. And it uses different separate muscles. The other thing I do to sort of get in a different place is I play the piano almost mm. every night. So my mother was an opera singer, so I love piano. I think people need something different. It could be something physical they yeah. do, or something emotional they mm-hmm. do, or something literary or artistic. I read, um, I'm a big, I, I love going back and reading old school marketing books, like David Ogilvy. Are you serious? I swear to God, yeah. That's oh my God. All, that's my favorite stuff is, um, I, I'll show you my desk on the way out. I have all like the old school Classics. ads, classic ads, because I, uh, it just teaches you everything about people, and all the triggers that you need in marketing today are buried in those books. From so Ogilvy years ago. and uh, his lieutenant at the time, Ken Roman, wrote a great little book called How to Write, mm-hmm. and it's probably sixty pages, mm-hmm. and I still have it. I love that. And uh, I'll never forget my first marketing job because uh, I kept all my marketing textbooks from college. Um, someone in my marketing team said, "Brian, I'd love to read one of your marketing books." You know, so I gave her the book. She never gave it back. I will never lend out a book. Do you no. ever lend out books? They no. just don't come not back. Not anymore. Hey, it was all highlight. Had I never, my notes when I was 18 I never, years old. I never cared about books. Now I love them, and but there's only select few. If if I don't love the book, I put it somewhere else. I want like my desk, and at home I want to have like my my books my that books I like. Too. So I have a bunch of sales copywriting books and all that stuff. That's my favorite stuff. Um, Do you ever see the, the the show? Have you ever seen the show Cribs? Yeah. It's like these yeah, yeah. like very blingy houses. Yeah, of course. My kids were eight or nine. They're course. like watching some show. The they take you in the fridge. Like I got I look at my <laughs> vitamin water in the fridge. Yeah. I got 90 yeah, vitamin yeah, waters. Yeah. My kids, I'll never forget, we're watching like an episode and they're saying, so dad, I said, yes. Yeah. Do you notice anything about that house? I said, what? It's just, they have more TVs than books. <laughs> I've never seen a book in any house in Cribs. No. But they got TVs everywhere. Yeah. So it doesn't know? validate the theory that like, you know, if you read, you're going to make more money and be more <laughs> successful. But I, I brought up Ogilvy because he, you know, the, their whole thing was like, at an ad agency, you're paid on your ideas, right? And so his whole, he had all this cha- all these chapters about like how to come up with better ideas. Right. And he calls it like, unhook your subconscious. And so you have to like, be learning and be stuffing your mind with all this stuff. But it's probably that when, you know, I'm at the gym or you're playing piano, that's Best when ideas. your stuff happens yeah. because you're not actively thinking about right. it. So, so um, I, I do something, uh, Joe Chernoff knows this well. So I always keep a, a three by five card in my pocket. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's very old school. What is that, your to-do list? Uh, no, it's usually some ideas that I get. You can see how much I've been writing during our meeting this morning. Uh, but I get creative ideas throughout the well, day. Because you, you don't have a pen. Where's your I don't pen? have a pen. Okay. I don't have a pen right now. But I write things down because yeah. uh, I'm always learning in different spots. And so my wife knows like outside the shower, we have a little uh, hot tub. I've got a place to write things down like everywhere. I love that. There's something I get. I carry, really different a, I carry a notebook with me and my wife knows. She always knows what I'm doing. When I'm in the other room and she doesn't hear me, she goes, Dave? I'm like, yeah. She goes, are you writing in your notebook right now? And I'm like, uh-huh. You went silent. Uh-huh. I love the index card thing. 
And do you ever do? You, will you take action on that and all like the time. file it late? Hey, I got to talk to talk to you know um, Lauren about whatever. Nothing gets filed. I have to do it immediately. My biggest fear, and this is my own paranoia, is that I'll forget to follow up on something. Yeah. Because I always find that a person's character is like, do you do what you say you're going to do? Yeah. So if I say to someone, I'm going to call you back today, I have to call them back. Yeah. And my worst fear is that I'm going to forget to do it. So if you're walking back now and you, th- you have a thought on the way home, like, i got to f- follow up with that because you'll scribble it on your card. Yeah, scribble it on my card. Yeah. I love and that. And I'll do it, like, immediately. Can, give me, read me one thing off the card that you can tell me about that you scribbled. Oh, these are good. These are good. Uh, but one thing is uh, a birthday gift for my wife. I love it. <laughs> so that would be the number one priority. I am so screwed. Is this that all I don't... from today, your note card? Do you start a new note card every day? Uh, yeah, every day I have a new note card. It's like 11 Some... o'clock and your card's already full. Yeah, it's like full of a whole bunch of things. So um, one thing we're doing is um, we're, uh, we're testing a direct mail piece. You know, we test different direct mail pieces. And um, I, I'm always interested, just like if you get a good email, if I get a direct mail piece, the whole marketing team stands around, it's like I'm giving birth to a baby. And we look at the box, Same. and we see how it goes, and we open it up very, and you know, we see how the corners are, because you all want them to be like an apple. Everything is gorgeous, and everything is a gift. The unveiling of apple The unveiling of product is the same. So we want to see how it all works, yeah. and do they put a video thing in there? Do they put a thing? Yeah. Is it a bottle of wine? Yeah. Is it a golf club? Uh-huh. Like, we're always interested. And so, um, I got some ideas based on some direct mail like about that. what we could do to improve things. I'm, I didn't think, I came into work today. Before I even, I had a package on my desk. Before I even turned on my laptop or took my stuff out of my backpack. Direct mail. I opened up the, the It's unbelievable. It's the, I think a lot of marketers have figured this out, though. Yeah. Nobody responds to email, yeah. people aren't returning calls, but direct mail. But there's gotta good. be, a, it's gotta be math, though, right? There's gotta be a threshold of what your deal size is to make sense to do that, or? So we have large deal size, which is really great. So I can spend a lot on, on generating a meeting. So our deal size is 300000 a year and the three-year deal, so almost a million dollars. You have some fun to play with. So I have some money to play yeah. with. For me to get a meeting, if yeah. I spend a couple thousand bucks with the right decision yeah. maker, everybody's really cool. happy. All right, well, Brian, I could do this forever, but I got this time. This is great, Dave. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing it. it.